I've asked this of everybody that have shared their story, the same question. Do you, do you respect Kenneth more or less after seeing that? More, right? Do you love him more or less after that? More, right? The very thing that you don't want to talk about, that you don't, when you talk about it, I mean, what does the Bible tell us? Confess your sins one another. You might be healed. There's something about you shared it in it. And one of the things I love about Ken's story is that his story is not unlike ours, which is we think that grace is the starting point. I'm saved by grace, but everything else I've got to work for. Put your suit and tie on, cut your hair, do you, and you end up in just another set of rules and regulations and policies and procedures, just like the old covenant, just with a tie, right? And the beauty of the, the new covenant, the new testimony of Jesus is that it's, grace wasn't just the starting point. It's it. There's nothing. It's Jesus did it all. And because of that, then we'll love and we'll serve him. The, the testimonies that you have, there's so much power in them. There's Psalm 119 verse 99 says, that, uh, he's, this is David talking, saying, look, I've meditated on your testimony and because of that, I'm wiser than all of my teachers. It's just the idea of like, that I'm not being counseled by my fears. I'm not being counseled by religion. I'm being counseled by your testimony, Father, which is made in, in me. And Paul's testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you've got your Bibles, I wanna read that. We're gonna be there this morning because of all of the stories of the scriptures, the, the test, there's so many profound ones, but Paul's has always spoken to me. There was a point even in my faith when I faith was, I was questioning Christianity, questioning, is this real or not? And, and I remembered, and there was a guy, this historical figure, like it's history. He actually existed, verifiable, that was a religious nut who was like the Osama bin Laden of their day, killing Christians by the hundreds. And something happened and suddenly he wasn't. And he was not only not that anymore, he was now the exact opposite of that. If that doesn't speak to you in some way, right? That spoke to my faith. And his story, his testimony, he shares it in verse, we'll start in verse three of chapter 15. He's talking to this church, his friends in Corinth. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This was the first thing I shared with you. Remember how he opened 1 Corinthians? That I came to you not with well-crafted words and great arguments, but just with Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's not just a statement. He's saying, which is what is true, that the Old Testament, the Torah, every page points to Jesus. And when their eyes were opened, they would see that. That he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, verse six. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Hey, you know what? I'm saying I saw this Jesus. There are 500 other people that could tell you right now and they're still alive. Go ask him. He's, it's like courtroom testimony happening here. I'm telling you, I saw it and these people saw it. They can all verify it. And then he appeared to James, verse seven, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. That's a fascinating word. And we're going to come back to that. It's like the story of my birth. For I am the least of the apostles. 
and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, that's why I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that in these few minutes that we have together, that your word would become alive in us today. You promised us that it would be a lamp and a light. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would counsel us, would teach us all those things you promised us that you would do. We quiet our hearts and our minds, open our ears and our hearts to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Has anybody got a pair of these? Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Just real quickly, how many? Anybody? Okay. These are all the people that are listening to a lot of podcasts. You can find them. But let me ask you this. Now, I'm sorry, we should have not had you raise your, because you can be honest, I shouldn't have had you raise your hand yet. When you walk around and you see a pair of these at the airport, what do you think? Jerk? <laughs> Ugly? Idiot? I'm... I didn't, just saying, I just thought that. When I would go to the airport, I'd see somebody walking around with these and I thought, these are jerk nozzles. <laughs> you just walk around talking. And at home, my wife uh, has grown to probably love and hate them, probably more hate than love, because she never knows if I'm, ta- if I'm listening to something, there's always, when I come into the office, Mo's like, are you talking to anybody? Because um, you don't know, they don't have a little light on them. Now here's the thing, I thought that too. I would walk around the airport or the mall, or actually I don't walk around the mall, I'm a grown man, but you know, (laughs) Target. (laughs) I can't even remember the last time I've been at the mall. (laughs) But I'd walk around thinking, man, that dude, you don't see a lot of dudettes, but a lot of dudes with them. And I had friends that would tell me, these are awesome, you really, you'd love these. You know, Jeremy Heslop is one of them. Man, these are great. You have no, they sound so good. And, and then eventually, and by the way, the main reason I didn't want to bite on it is because the amount of times I have washed my earbuds in a year, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And how, you know, they come out of the water, you know, they wound so tight and you can't, and, it, and for some reason, always just one of them doesn't work. For those of you that have washed your earbuds, you know this. One works and one doesn't. I don't know how that happens. It don't take out both of them. But I'm thinking that's the last thing I want to do is wash a $150 pair of this. And then somebody told me, Darren, you got to try them. Let me put them in your ears, which is not sanitary, but I did it anyway. (laughs) And those of you that have, you know what happens. You put them in and it goes, because the phone knows they're in. Like, this is like, this is crazy. Like voodoo stuff. It, the phone knows. And if someone like my wife says, here, you listen to something. If I take it out, it knows it's out and it pauses the podcast right where it is and turns it back on when she's done talking. Miraculous. Now, Frank, I had a gift card, so I was only betting 50 bucks, not 100 bucks, whether they were going to be awesome. My, my point is this. Don't, I'm not, this is not a test. I guess it kind of is. 
testimonial of whether or not you should buy these or not. But I'm saying that what put me over the edge for this was someone that I knew that had bought them, that I trusted, that I, that I knew them, told me about them. That the, they, they had skin in the game. I have, I don't know about you, but I don't hardly buy anything anymore without going on Amazon and looking at the reviews. Everybody. And what do you need from somebody there? That they're verified buyer. They're not just some jerk nozzle rattling off. They're, they purchased it. And I would go further and say this, that if they were paid to tell me that they're awesome, I don't trust you. That's why I did not buy a thigh master. Because <laughs> Suzanne Summers was getting paid to tell me that was awesome. But look, you kids, it was before Instagram, okay? George Foreman was selling grills. Suzanne Summers selling thigh masters. They were getting paid millions of dollars to tell me something was awesome. If you're getting paid for it, I don't trust you as much. But if you've paid for it, I got something. I want to hear a little bit about that. And look, if you've paid everything for that, then I'm really interested in what you've got to say. And the word testimony, so when we talk about, those are testimonials, right? Those are reviews, it's Yelp, it's somebody just saying something, whether or not they've got any skin in the game. That's a testimonial. That is not the word that is used in the Bible for testimony. It's the word, in fact, Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And that's the word. Anybody notice a root word there that might jump out at you? that the word martyr is in the root word of testimony. And every time that, when you see testimony in the New Testament, that's the word that it uses. It's a truth that is so, and it's by the way, a legal term, like I'm in court telling you the truth. I'm, this is what I saw. A truth that is so compelling you would die for it. And so powerful that you'll live for it. That's Paul's testimony. So powerful that I'll die for it and so compelling that until that happens, I'll live for it. The martyria, that's the testimony of the scripture. Something that is so true. I've quoted from Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe, many, many times. But he talks about of homecoming and of belonging. And you know, I'm looking around and see Kyle, he's a Marine that's come back from multiple deployments. But he says this, this is what, Sebastian Younger says, he's not a Christian, he's just an anthropologist and a journalist. And he says that the thing that happens in Marines and in military life is that for the first time in somebody's life, they have to answer the question, what would I give my life for? And most Americans can live their entire lives and never have to answer that question. And there's something inside of us that we are wired for, to live and to die for something so true. And parenthetically, that is in our culture right now, it may not be like China or Afghanistan, but for us to live for Christ publicly and truthfully, it is going to cost us something. And every day that cost goes up and up. And they may not be coming with pitchforks and torches right now, but they're coming with keyboards and computer screens. We're having to ask the question, what would I be willing to live for? Maybe they won't assault you physically, but they will certainly assault your reputation. And maybe that's okay. 
because for us, we get to answer, is this something that I really believe? That I'll so much that I will live for it, so much that I'll die for it, they'll assault my reputation, my, my person, who I am. That's the kind of truth. And by the way, if it is true, Paul goes on to talk about the resurrection. Like he didn't, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We can all go home. We don't have to listen to anything he said. But if he did, I've said it before and it's worth repeating. Someone comes, lives, tells you, hey, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be dead for three days. I'm gonna raise again from the dead. And then he does it. You ought to listen to what he has to say. Paul says that in his life. That's the, the martyria that he gives, which is his story. And in that, just those few verses, his gospel story, Kenneth is like yours. This is what I was, this is what I am, and this is what I do because of it. He's saying, look, this is, this is who I was. He talks about that word abnormal birth. <laughs> if my mom were still alive, I'm sure she would probably say, yeah, that was abnormal, I, son. <laughs> the word, I, I spent a lot of time, probably more than I needed to, like figuring out what's he mean by that? And he, the word just means like premature, like aborted, that's, I, there was something wrong with him because of his birth. That's what the preponderance of the theologians and the commentators say, is that there was something wrong with him so much that that was like a pejorative term that he was referred to as. You're the aborted guy. You're the premature guy. You're the, it was literally a part of who he was, his person and who he called. And many of the commentators, it's one of the things that I appreciated about the movie about the Apostle Paul is they didn't you know, choose like Brad Pitt to choose the plan. They played, chose like an old guy who was kind of craggly because every commentator out there believes that Paul was not a good looking guy. There's probably something wrong with his eyes. And clearly there's something wrong with him enough that was from his birth that everybody knew it. And called Matt. I was, that's who I was. And not only was I that, but man, I was persecuting the church. I thought about that as I drove in here today because, I mean, what would, Phyllis, if I had killed your son, how could I ever look you in the eye? That's what he had done. He had persecuted the church, not just calling them names, killing them, imprisoning them, torturing them. And when you look at Saul's, his life as Saul, there's a moment there in Acts chapter seven where he is, where Stephen is being uh, persecuted. He's being stoned. And it says in, there at the, the feet of Saul, it's when Saul walks onto the world stage with Saul and they were throwing their coats there at him. He was like the coat check guy. He was guarding the coats so they could do the dirty business. And he talks multiple times through the letters that he writes about his persecution of the church, that he didn't just stand by. He was voting for their death. He was looking them in the eye. That's who he was. Everybody in this room has a who I was story. And before Christ, if you haven't entered into that saving faith with him, that's still, you still are in the who you were. You haven't got to who you could be what Christ wants to do in your life. I joke about it because sometimes I don't know what else you do, but just laugh. But I mean, I was, I joke about being a white trash kid from the middle of nowhere because I was. 
And I, I, I hesitate to use those words because some of you might take offense to that. But I think with just because that's who I am, then I have some liberty. It's like fat guys can make jokes but, about fat guys, but if you're not, you don't get to. Um, <laughs> just FYI, you skinny guys, it's not funny when you say it. But I mean, I didn't, I had nothing. There was no reason that I should have found a relationship with Christ. None. It was 1980. There was no reason anybody would start a church in Nebraska. The cheese plant was closing. The cement plant closed. There was no church. But this woman, I know where that sits with your theology, but hang on. A woman comes to town, single mom. She'd been left by her Methodist pastor. The classic affair of the 70s in the church. Had an affair with the piano player and ran off with her. So she leaves this mom with her two children and she goes and she follows her heart to go to Bible college. And, and look, everybody, there were multiple people that came to this town to audition for the church until they got there and realized there's no church. And she said, Yes. And she moved in, and I mean, in those days, man, people were shooting holes in the door of the church, painting swastikas on the door. It's got to be a cult, because it's a woman. By the way, she just retired a couple of years ago, 38 years. That church has sent more people into ministry. I mean, it's fascinating. Point being, that's how I came to Christ, was somebody said Yes to coming there. And, and look, my parents, I promise you, they never wrote a tithe check in their life. She didn't care. When my mom was older and six, she would send the announcements to them because my mom still called at the church even though she never went. But this pastor would literally put it, handwrite the envelope, lick a stamp, and mail her the announcements because she wanted them because my mom wanted to know what was going on in town and that was before Facebook. <laughs> That's who I was. No, nobody had any business and any right investing in me. There was no way to look at me and say, that's a good investment of your time. That's who I was. Like, maybe I wasn't like Paul and I wasn't killing Christians, but I certainly wasn't a safe bet if you're betting on who would be a pastor someday. And he goes on to say, that's who I was, and now this is who I am. He says, because, you know, all that, and I, I'm now an, an apostle I have no business being there, but for some reason, Jesus, by his grace, chose to appear to me. I didn't choose that. I don't deserve it. I get it. I'm an abnormally born guy, but I'm, and I love this because when he says, here's who I am, he doesn't forget who he was. I'm undeserving. I'm last. I'm the last guy that should be standing here today, but for whatever reason, here's who I am today. And it's only by the grace of God that I am what I am. <laughs> when I was 16, I went on my first mission trip ever. Do anybody do you know who Ron Luce is, if I say that name? Anyone? Some of y'all know him. He was 24 years old. I was 16. When I say that my mother free-ranged us, <laughs> like chickens, they'll come home eventually. <laughs> like, I'm not actually kidding. She sent me to Guatemala for two months, right after, right before Civil War. I mean, it's not a good time to go to Guatemala. For two months with a 24-year-old guy that she'd never met before. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> I went the next summer for two months. I learned Spanish. I learned how to play Satan in the skit. Like I learned all this awesome stuff. 
<laughs> you all are laughing because you've done them. And I remember even praying in those days, the second summer especially, oh, I don't want to enjoy this too much. This is how shallow I am. I didn't want to enjoy it too much because I didn't want God to mess up my plans and make me be a missionary. It's a true story. I end up in Bible college just a couple of years later and the two groups of people, this is a 100% true story, the two people, the groups of people that I spent no time around at all, categorically tried to get away from them were the people who were training to be pastors and the people who were training to be missionaries. I didn't want any part of either of them. The pastors were too uptight and the missionaries were boring. That's what I thought. Now, by the way, now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, what was I thinking? Grady Pickett, boring? Are you kidding me? God does great stuff in that world. The point is, is that I can't tell you that I'm here today because of anything that I did, only because of God's hand of grace on my life that he moved me to where I am today. There's a reason I'm not still managing rock bands. Not because I didn't like it, God just had a different plan. And I can, someone said this once, it's not that you don't have as much faith as me, it's just that I've been around a faithful God longer than you have. At 47, I would say that to some of you who are younger now, I don't have more faith than you, you teenagers, I just have been around a faithful God longer than you have. And you get to be around God long enough, you begin to see that nothing is by accident. You begin to see that when we sing a song, not for a minute, was I forsaken? The Lord is in this place. Not for a second were you forsaken. And the beauty of faith is that we believe that in advance and the beauty of praise is that we see it in reverse. And so I, we ended up after 1995, we moved back to Tulsa for a short period of time. I had uh, been managing or booking at that point bands that were doing really, really well. And then all of a sudden we weren't. <laughs> they went to different agencies. And, and I, let me tell you this, I'm going to give you a little pro tip for you youngins. Don't do what I'm about to tell you that I did. I, my wife was very pregnant, like great with child. Okay. <laughs> so I started a business. That'd be a great idea. Quit your job and start a business. So I'm literally working out of like our dining room in our one bedroom apartment in Franklin that we could barely afford booking hip hop bands, hip hop bands. (laughs) This is how, I swear to you, this is how white I am. I was booking grits, um, hip hop group, (laughs) you know, my life be like, yeah, um, there's a, there's a, (laughs) I don't know, is Justin in here? GMA, I'm about to say something. He's gone, okay. Uh, GMA that year, Gospel Music Association, did a little uh, a thing where they would have people talking about hip-hop music, a panel, I guess what we would call that. I'm on the panel. <laughs> that shows you how desperate GMA was. But here's how white I was. I'm looking at the list going, okay, there's uh, T-Bone and there are these rapper guys and and there's a dude named Coffee from Grits. I've been booking Grits for a year at this point. And I'm like, who's Coffee? So I, I have assumed, true story, that there is somebody impersonating one of the Grits guys or some typo or something. So I called Stacy, who is 
in, co- in uh, grits. And I said, hey man, who's coffee? And he, there's a pause. Because <laughs> he's trying to figure out if I'm kidding or not. And he says, fool, that's me. I didn't know they had stage names. <laughs> now, in fairness, I booked a lot of shows and they didn't care. Call me whatever you want to, as long as you keep booking the shows. But, sorry, Alia, you, some of you guys were around in that, that era. By the grace of God, we go back to Tulsa. I start this little, we got this agency. We're working in an office that is literally in a storage thing. It was like the, you know, like the storage uh, units. There was an office in the storage unit that was for the storage units, but they weren't, the guy didn't use it, so he rented it to us. I'm literally booking bands from a storage unit office. <laughs> but it was during that season that I and Shannon wandered into a church that I had no business wandering into. A friend of ours was leading worship there that day, and we went to visit, and I was hesitant because the guy that was kind of the day-to-day pastor was the dean of the Bible college that I had gone to that I had had to see a few times for reasons I didn't really want to remember. (laughs) His name was Fred Brothers. Fred and Cookie. Surname. What a great name, huh? Cookie. (laughs) Cookie's dad was a guy named Buddy Harrison. And Buddy had started a a publishing house and had published people who you've heard of, uh, but he was sick and with cancer and he would end up ultimately dying while we started serving as the youth pastors there. And, and there's a part of me like, why would God, why would you have done that? Why would, was Tulsa just a giant waste of time to go back? Because ultimately a year later, I would end up getting a job at William Morris Agency. I was coming back to Nashville. But that year, we also met a guy named Craig Wall who in 1998 said, hey, what about going and starting a church in Nashville? You know, and we had a fascinating journey. He started a church that's called Generations Church. They meet in downtown Franklin right now. And it was in that church family that I met Jim and Donna Henderson. There was maybe like 14 of us total, not just the setup crew, that was the church. (laughs) Some of you know Guy and Tracy and TJ and Amy. Those are people we met in that season of our life. And it was in that season that I started a little Bible study for college and young professionals, and it was in that season that I began to see this calling on our lives. Yeah, Jessica, you guys were there. Kyle. When I say that it's by the grace of God that I sit here today, it really is. I can't take credit for any of it. It's by the grace of God that I am what I am. It's by the grace of God that you are what you are. And if your story is still in sad and it's hard. Your story isn't over yet. There is no such thing as a sad ending unless you stop telling it before it's over. Not in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, the story doesn't end on this side of heaven. It begins on the other side, right? Your story ends here and this new one begins. So that's the thing. I, I was this, I am that, and because of that, this is what I do. You see, Paul wasn't doing what he did out of guilt and shame. Maybe that's why God took him to the desert for three years. He had some healing to do. He says, I didn't do this because I'm, I'm trying to heal this father wound. I didn't do this to try to fix me. 
there are people right now who go into that kind of a ministry and you're really trying to heal your own wound and God's saying, no, no, that doesn't heal it. You're just using them to make you feel better. He wants to heal you. And then out of that, out of the grace of that, go. And Paul did that. He gave up his life because God had healed him. Because he knew that the true story of the gospel was what was happening in his life. And that gospel, he wrote it out in the book of Romans. Chapters one through three, it just basically says, I'm going to give you the paraphrase, you're monumentally screwed. The entire world is. Because we are dark and wicked inside. And anybody that wants to disagree with that, I don't know how you can anymore. The internet, who do you think those trolls are? Us. Out of the darkness of that, the, their best intentions, we do and say bad things and this world will never be your home. You are, it talks about the, this uh, fall of humanity through chapter one and, and I love it because chapter two says, and just in case you think that you're so much better than chapter one, hold up. And then he gets to chapter three and says, okay, look, this is bad but this is good. Verse 21, he starts in chapter three saying, but look, the wages of sin are death. He talks about the gospel, talks about that your salvation doesn't come from inside. It doesn't come from progress. If you're doing a better job, your salvation comes from outside. I have come to seek and to rescue you. That goes through chapter five. Now in chapter six, some of you may be thinking, man, if I'm forgiven, wow, everything I've ever done, the sins that I might commit today, those that I'll commit tomorrow, they're all forgiven. Let me get my money's worth. Chapter six says, hold it. That's foolish. Because not only do you have forgiveness from sin, payment for the penalty of sin, you have power over sin. Chapter six says, man, you are like dead to sin. That's the whole promise of that. But if you've been around Christ long enough walking, you think, man, but why is that not working so good for me? Kenneth saying, hey, I, I had found it, and then I got back to it, and then I found it, I got back to it. Doesn't that sound like Romans 7? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Those things that I ought to do, I don't. Those things I don't do, I, that I should. He goes to the end of chapter seven and says, who's going to rescue me from this wicked body of sin? Who will rescue me? Praise be to God, Christ will rescue me. And he says then to verse one of chapter eight, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever testimony you have of the good things that God has done in your life, that is the martyria story of your life that you once were lost and now you're found. You once were blind and now you see. Your testimony. When God told Moses to build a tabernacle in the wilderness, he told him to build a what? A tabernacle and inside of it, a, he, he told him to build an ark, just a box. It's a wooden box with a lid on it. It would later have more dimensions and there'd be the angels in the mercy seat and beautiful picture of Christ. But think back to Noah. When God told Noah, the world is about to be destroyed, he didn't tell him to build a boat. He told him to build an ark. It's just a big box. 
the laws of physics say, hey, you should build a boat. By the way, there's a fascinating article in the Smithsonian Magazine. You can Google it on Noah's Ark. These scientists that were trying to prove it wrong were like, surprisingly, it actually could work. <laughs> I was reading it going, see? <laughs> Told them to build an ark box. Moses would be put into a river on the Nile River. Those of you that have been to Uganda, you've seen the Nile River with us, and you've seen the crocodiles, by the way. He didn't tell them to put them in a boat. He told them to put them in an ark, a little box, a little, little ark. The ark of the covenant, the ark of, not the covenant, the ark of the testimony. That's what it was first called. And that testimony whether it's Noah in the ark is one of rescue. Moses, it's one of rescue. Jesus, when he got into the water, into the, I think that the reason the disciples were so wigged out was they got into a boat, the storm came, but Jesus was in an ark. He wasn't trusting the laws of physics, he was trusting the promises of God. And your ark of the testimony, God doesn't dwell in boxes and buildings anymore, he dwells in bodies, he dwells in you. You now are the ark. You are. Indiana Jones is never going to find it because it's you and it's me. It's right in front of him. You are the ark of his testimony of what he can do to save you. And for those of us who have experienced the goodness of God in our lives, it's not lost on me that Jesus, from a boat, Phyllis has been there right, in Galilee, where he had fed 5,000 people, and then just a little bit later, he feeds 4,000 people. The disciples had seen all of this. After he fed the 4,000, it says they got into a boat, went to the other side. And remember how, like, after he was done making bread and making sandwiches out of nothing? It says they gathered up all these baskets left over of bread, and they forgot it. They get in the boat and they left it behind. And they think Jesus is going to be mad at them because they forgot the bread. Now, keeping in mind, Jesus could sneeze a sandwich right now. Just done. He had just done it. And for the sake of time, I can't tell you, he did, te this is Mark chapter 8, he talks about the, the, the yeast of the Pharisees, and I could explain what that meant at another time, but for, for the purposes of today, they had forgotten the bread. It wasn't about the bread. It's what they had forgotten was that Jesus had it all under control. Even when you mess it up, forget it, he's there. And for those of us who have been around the block a little bit, there's something that you might call it a journal, but maybe you could start calling it your bread basket. Keeping track of when God has come through for you. That you can go back and like David did in Psalms, be meditating on the testimony of God. Don't let your anxiety counsel you. Don't let your fear give you therapy. Go to the meditation of the testimony of God in your life. Because you can go back over the years and the longer you've been around, the bigger the basket is. Every, literally everybody in this room if you think hard enough, you can remember back to when God did something. And for those of you that can't, I don't think it's because it didn't happen. Ask the Holy Spirit to remind you. Because he's been there all along. 
Not for a moment were you forsaken. In the middle of whatever it is right now, the storm on the boat, you can choose to trust the laws of physics or you can choose to trust on the promises of God. I love it because it says Jesus was asleep. I don't even understand that. I don't sleep on planes because of that. I'm like, wait, wait, that's something that's out of thing. <laughs> and by the way, the laws of physics are pretty solid in a plane, but I'm still like, oh man, I don't know Jesus. But those are moments, even that to say, I have a bread basket. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of bread baskets. I got a lot of stories of God coming through in big and small ways and in every way. And I know in this room right now, some of you are in the middle of a storm and this is easier said than done, but just know where Jesus is. He's resting. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm not freaking out. I hate it when I freak out. Heavenly Father, stand to your feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we give ourselves to you and thankful for this ark of the testimony whether it was Noah, whether it was Moses, or whether it's me, you're right in the middle of it. God, I know in this room, there are those where this isn't some ethereal thing. This is real life. There is a storm right now. And I pray that you would remind them of your goodness, remind them of the stories of the bread baskets of your story of redemption and rescue. This is the gospel. This is the great news of your kingdom. Holy Spirit, one of the jobs you promised to do with us is to remind us. And I pray right now, Lord, right now that you would remind us of something that would just come to our mind. That's right, I remember that. That's, I remember that. That happened. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, might we not just keep that testimony to ourselves, but share it with everyone we come in contact with. It's in your name, Jesus, that we can even pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.